Well, hello and welcome to episode two of Dibber and Trug, our gardening podcast with myself, Rod Whiting, and uh, Richard Chuck. Uh, episode two is, we've named it thus, Everything's Coming Up Roses. That's a reflection on our special guest this week, uh, Alan Hargraves from Hargraves Roses. Uh, it's not just about roses, so it's about other uh, plants as well, but um, we're going to we're going to major on roses today, which I know Richard will please you no end, because for those who are, are just joining the podcast are not aware of Richard's love affair with blousy plants, and I say that quite ironically, because you don't like them much, do you? I I don't like blousy plants um, like dahlias and things like that, but I'm I'm not too bad with roses though, Rod. I I like one called Rosa Dublin Bay, which is probably been my favourite. Um, I like, uh, I, I tend to like the wild type roses. So the little dog roses and them kind of things. Although I have got a couple at the moment, the Himalayan musk rose, which Alan I'm sure will be aware of, and Rosa rugosa, which I absolutely love, but it's it's an absolute animal. And if you're looking for something to, to put in as a hedge, Rosa rugosa is the one for you. Nice little scent as well. And I, I love those types of things. Okay, well, uh, at this point, then let's bring in our guest this week. It is Alan Hargreaves. Uh, good. Uh, well, hello, uh, Alan. Nice to see you and nice to hear you. Hello, Rod. Hello, Richard. Good evening. Yes, yeah. Thanks for inviting me along and uh, looking forward to talking about roses and other trees and shrubs as well. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's just let's just for people who don't aren't aware of you, you're you're very well known in the trade because you supply a, a fairly portion of the country the retail sector with plants particularly roses uh, from Hargreaves Roses based in Lincolnshire. Yeah we have a couple of businesses we have a rose business supplying garden centres throughout most of the east of England and the Midlands and then I also work in a marketing business where we market uh, shrubs, trees, climbing plants and fruit plants to garden centres. We've done that for 20 years. Previous to that we had a family business that did soft fruit plants and shrubs to garden centres. Um, so, yeah, I've been in the trade quite a while. Rich, I don't know, Richard, if you like rhododendrons. I worked on a rhododendron nursery in New Jersey when I was a lad, so I, have a, I really enjoy plants with big, massive flowers and uh, yeah. rhododendrons and camellias and azaleas and roses, of course. I must admit, Alan, I'm not a fan of roses. Uh, I don't mind them as long as they're in somebody else's garden. That's fine by me. <laughs> but not for me. Well, now it's interesting because I, I, I've I've sort of shunned rhododendron and uh, and camellias. Um, rhododendron because I always manage to kill them. So I think this would be quite an interesting session because um, you, you know ways that we can keep rhododendrons al preferably alive for more than one season. And and camellia and part of the reason I suppose is because it's it's having the right soil for those plants. So they like acid, don't they? they like acid soils. Uh, which I've never managed to find. I just have heavy clay wherever I go. But, uh, of course, you can pot them, and you can pot them in ericaceous compost, which is what I've done with the camellia this year. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to chat about those as well. Richard, I should tell you, uh, the last time I spoke to Alan, I, it was uh, we were doing something with Boom Radio, for Boom Radio on Sunday. And um, I had a bit of an issue getting hold of Alan to start with because uh, he was he sounded very, very nervous in a bullpen saying something about bull's testicles. Just remind us what that was about, Alan. You sounded quite, you sounded a worried man. Well, it started out a very simple job. I had three, I breed Lincoln red cattle as a hobby. 
being in Lincolnshire, of course, and I had three steers that are going to a customer next week. They're all a year old or 13 or 14 months. So I thought, oh, I'm talking to Rod at 10.30. I'll just run them in the catch pen about 9.30 and check that we've not left one testicle in there because we were selling them as steers. And as I put them through the crush, the first one had one testicle left in the scrotum and the next one had one left. The third one was fine. And I thought, what the hell do I do now? So I rang my customer in Yorkshire and uh, he didn't know what to do either. And at that stage, one bull was trying to get out of the pen and I was thinking of you. So uh, I rang you and uh, told you my predicament and said, we'll need to talk at 12 o'clock. I'm in a muddle. I'm in a mess here. So, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pleased we're past the watershed, but um, there we are. Yeah, it's, it's made us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. But no, I, I, it, there we are. I mean, you, it's all you, to fertilise your roses with. You see, it's to fertilise your roses. We okay. feed them with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, let's get on to uh, to talking about roses then, because I, I like most plants, we, we we get to the spring, we get to the summer, and of course the work, if you want decent plants, will have taken place some months before so is is that true for roses as well yeah um we with the roses of course we head them back in december ideally slightly to stop the wind rocking them around and then we give them a good pruning late february but you can still do it this week prune them back to about 12 or 15 inches depending on the age of the plants and um and then take that opportunity to cut out any dead wood old wood and um, the purists would say you select a bud on the outside of each stem, but um, some do it with a strimmer. So you can go anywhere from one side to the other with that one. And then they'll romp away in a week or two. You'll have all new growth. But you, yeah, give them a pruning now and get them ready for the flowering season. I think one of the things that, that puts a lot of gardeners off, it certainly put me off uh, in the early days, is how you, some roses seem to be more susceptible to to fungal diseases. You know, black spot, ruster, a couple of things that come to mind. And and they just don't look the part. I mean, presumably there is there are things you can do, and, and I'm guessing prevention is a key here. Yes, two things here. Many of the modern varieties have been selected through breeding programmes, for resistance to mildew, rust and black spot. Um, so they have programs where they don't spray the mother plants and they test the mother plants before they breed the new selections. We've just introduced one from Canada and we've named it Ancona Chick and it comes from a breeding program where they don't use chemicals. So that's the first point. And there's, there's one new variety, uh, well, it's not so new, Super Trooper. It's the cleanest, healthiest variety, but many others are. One of some of the old varieties are devils for mildew or black spot. And we drop those. We look for a better. If, if we have a yellow floribunda that's wonderful, but it has a little bit of uh, mildew problems, then we're always looking for a better variety that's more mildew resistant to replace it eventually, which is why we bring new varieties in to improve. Um, the other thing, of course, is to use fungicides. And the thing is to, as you say, prevent it rather than cure it, get the fungicide on. You can buy them from the garden centers. They have recommended products. Um, every garden center may have a different one but it's all the basic same ingredients. It's, you know, whether you get your aspirin from this garden, from this supermarket or another one, it's the same basic active ingredients. And uh, we look to get the fungicides on, get them on late April, early May. Don't leave it until you see it. 
get it on early. There's one or two varieties that are very susceptible to mildew. We've got one we've grown for years. It's very popular. It's got a great selling name, especially with Tina Turner fans. It's called Simply the Best. But we reckon it simply ain't the best because it gets a bit of fungal problem. So uh, we're bringing in new yellow floribundus to replace it. And we've got a beautiful old variety called Abracadabra. But one of my growers calls it Mildew Cadabra, which uh, sort of focuses the mind a bit, really. So, yeah, just think about it a little bit. And, and the other thing, I don't know about you, Richard, but uh, the other thing that uh, bamboozles me about, about roses is there are so many varieties. Yeah, I, I just think there's way too many varieties, although the, the rose enthusiasts would disagree with that. Alan's just explained there about the spraying regime and all that. And I, I think probably this is what's put me off in the past, because I've had roses in the past, believe it or not. Um, and I have suffered with mildew and stuff like that. And I've, and this is what I, why I tend to avoid them. Whereas when I get the um, Rosa Dublin Bay, which I absolutely love, does suffer. And I know for a fact it suffers, but I just love it because it's got quite a nice leaf as far as I'm concerned. And actually, when I was working in the garden centre, I actually got Alan to supply me with some of those, I do believe. And he managed to get yeah. those because I'd struggled to get it. I just struggle with the sheer amount, but I shouldn't because... Grasses, there's millions of different varieties of the ornamental grasses, loads of them, and I'm quite happy with those. And I guess we all have a comfort zone, don't we? And some people like roses, some don't. I'll probably always have a rose in my garden because I do like the odd rose in the garden because it looks good, especially if you've got archways. It's just you can't beat it. So, Alan, what is the what is the answer? Is, is, is there a particular uh, care regime we want to be getting into the habit of with roses? Just a little dash of fungicide. Um, or select varieties that are really healthy from the beginning. But it's worth it because the rose is the most romantic of all plants. It's the plant on Valentine's Day. You want the red rose in the vase, uh, such as Royal William. You want a Lincoln red steak and a glass of wine. It's the most romantic night of the year. Always a red rose with it. Everyone wants a rose. You look at a John Wayne film. What was he doing in The Quiet Man? He was growing roses in Ireland, wasn't he, when he was with Maureen O'Hara? So yeah. roses are the number one plant. It's the plant of England. The wars of the roses. We had a 30-year war, the Plantagenets and the Tudors, the White Rose of Yorkshire and the Red Rose of Lancashire. It's the ultimate plant. So don't be put off by a little bit of a few thorns and a little bit of mildew or something. Just go for it. Live the dream. And in terms of mm. keeping them trimmed, deadheading, I suppose, is the thing. Is it once they've gone, gone over, then take off what's left of the bud, get rid of that, and you'll encourage more growth? Is that generally the, the advice? Yes. Uh, someone wrote end of last summer, when you have a rose garden with different varieties, every day is a birthday because every day you've got a different rose and a new flower and the flowers are affected by the amount of sunlight each day. So you get some varieties like sensation on a bright sunny day. It's pink, almost white, but on a really cloudy day in the autumn, it comes out the most wonderful salmon shades of pink before it goes more pale. So while you're out there sniffing and admiring all these different shades and it's different every day, you do a little bit of deadheading as well. Some you can break off, they're quite brittle, and others have a little pair of snippers with you and just snip the heads off. But it's worthwhile. It helps, it helps the new ones to keep coming if you deadhead them rather than allow the head to turn to seed and the energy go into the seed. 
bit like nobbing tulips in the old Spalding uh, tulip fields when we were kids. Gosh, that, that, that all seemed so long ago, the, the Spalding Tulip Festival and all those amazing... Flights. No, it was only the 60s, right? It was only the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> Richard saying, oh, no, I'm far too young for all of that. I was born in the 60s, so I wouldn't have gone to it. I was, I was still in Yorkshire fighting the Rose Wars, wasn't I? <laughs> we Lancashire. So, uh, yeah, but, but Alan, you say take them all off, but I know with Rose of Dublin Bay, if I, if I used to leave that one, and I used to let it set the um, seed heads anyway, so that I had some lovely sort of looking, um, oh, God, what they're called when they bud up. Rose hips. Rose hips, yeah, that's it, Alan. Yeah, rose hips, and I, I like to see that as well. So I guess sometimes, surely, you've got to sort of sacrifice your, your flowers if you want to have some rose hips later in the year. Is, is that the case? Yeah, there are one or two varieties that where you have really attractive fruits or hips, and so, yeah, if that's a variety where you appreciate it, but you might leave those at the end of the season. If you're looking to get, say, three flushes of roses in May and then midsummer and then another flush in September, October, then you might leave the last one to develop the rose hips. Incidentally, talking about late ones, most years on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, I managed to find a flower or two in the rose garden where they've been in some sort of shade. So although we do head them back in early December, if there's an odd branch with a few buds on, yeah, have a gamble and try and bring a rose in the house for the lady on uh, Christmas Eve. Good. Mm. You're right romantic, you, aren't you? <laughs> well, there we go. What can I say? <laughs> I've got, like, like you say, Alan, I mean, a rose is, is definitely, everybody wants a rose. You, you talk to anybody, they'll all know the rose. I'm not against them because I like, there's a couple that I really like that are highly scented. The famous plants woman, I'm trying to think of a name now. Oh, Beth Chateau. No, not Beth Chateau, the old woman in the early 1900s. Oh, God. Oh. God, she used to, she's really good. She gorgeous. had a clematis that she liked as well. She liked the clematis. Yeah, yeah well, anyway, yeah. you know, and I like, I like some, and I like, I think if I'm going to have them, I like, they've either got to have a really strong colour to them, like purple, or they've got to have quite a nice scent to them as well. But actually, Rosa Dublin Bears, that's what appealed to me. You're um, not the only one, actually. I have a very good customer in North Walsham. Uh, her yeah. name's Jilly, the buyer there. And uh, that's her favourite rose, Dublin Bay. All she, right. I have to make sure we have extra for her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's nothing really special about it compared to the others. Because I know David Austin roses, it's just so many stunning ones. You'd be able to, I mean, I get sent the catalogues every year and I just, I would struggle to, oh, I've got one called, uh, the other one I do like, Alan, and it's called Rosa Ceracea. Is it Ceracea something? Uh, there's another bit to the name. And it's really heavily thorned. And the thorns go bright red. Um, all the way up the stem. I love it because it's an animal, isn't it? It's just, an, you know, if you want to stop people coming in your garden, that's the one you put in. Well, I get customers looking for less thorns rather than more. Yeah, you say it's an animal. I've had enough with dangerous animals for one week. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for thornless, easy care from for the rest of this week. Was it uh, Gertrude Jekyll you were trying to think of? The that's Victorian? It. That's the one. Gertrude Jekyll. Yeah, Roger, spot on. I love her work, you know, and it's used to say... It, when people want to do designs, it's my way or no way. And that's got what I kind of liked about it. So I get, it all hooked me onto her. And, but there's a, a rose named after her, and I just love that rose. And I think it's the intensity of the colour that I like about it. So, you know, if, in fact, I'll, I'll make a, 
a claim here that the other day when I was in the garden centre, I was actually looking for it. I couldn't find it at all. It's just not there. They've just got the celebration roses that they all want, you know, wedding day and all those. And I'm looking for something a little bit more special. Something we mentioned yeah. on Sunday, Alan, was uh, the the fact that roses went out of fashion for for quite a while, didn't they? And um, and but it does seem, um, hence the the title of the episode, everything is coming up roses. It does seem that we are falling in love, back in love with them again. Yes, um, roses traditionally people had larger gardens and they had big rose beds, uh, masses of roses. And then some of the gardens were sold as building plots and there were, the gardens tend to be smaller nowadays. But people are coming back to roses. They're planting one of this and one of that. They're, the names are quite evocative. Um, there's the romanticism, there's the scent. They flower from May through to November or Christmas. And also, you must admit, Richard, even, well, Richard's coming around now, right? So we're getting there. <laughs> but you must, you must admit, when you drive down a road, a long road of houses, and you look at the gardens, there's a lot of wishy-washy colours of spire and hydrangea and different things. I'm not knocking them because they're all favourites of mine. But when you come to a garden with a few roses, they're the strongest of the strongest colours, and they're right through the summer, the rich oranges, the reds, the golds, they're stronger colours than other, other flowers. It's difficult to think of flowers that have such strong colours as roses. And yeah. people are coming back to them. They're buying them. They're great gifts as well. It's what, you know, you, the expression, oh, what do I buy so-and-so? They've got everything. You buy them a rose. And you can often find one that has a name that's suggestive to that person or that person's lifestyle. Well, I, I totally agree, but I think I think some people got put off roses at one point because you go to a garden and that's all you saw, wasn't it? You had, like you just mentioned then, back in the seventies and that, they had full beds of roses, and I think people just assume that you should have loads of roses together. And I think it should be part of a, a perennial border. Do you do you agree with that? No, don't dis don't agree with that. I've just put a new garden in two years ago. Oh my and, god. Uh, <laughs> a new garden it was the old veg garden and it got neglected and pigs on it for a while and i've put new lawn in and either side all the way down it's about six fifty foot down either side i've got beds of roses and i'm using it to look at new varieties that i want to see that are coming through so i walk down there every day and at the end i've got my poultry pens uh yeah. to keep a rare breed of poultry and uh, so I walk down there and every day, as I, as I said earlier, every day is a birthday because every day it's, wow, that one's just come out. And doesn't that one look spectacular? So I, yeah, I like to see. I interplant with tulips because they obviously flower in early May uh, just before the roses come into flower. So I'll get some interesting shades and different colours. And then I have to remember to dig them in the summer, lift them up in the summer, dry them out, and then plant them again in the autumn, uh, probably in a different patch with a little twig in to show where I've put the tulips. So I'll put tulips in between the roses. So yeah, I'll give you that one, Richard. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. Tulips with the roses. Well, you'll hate me for this then, Alan, because <clears throat> I moved here, well, just coming up nearly a year now, um, just under a year here, we moved up, up to Bimbrook and and it was full of tulips. <laughs> and I've spent oh. all this spring lifting and pulling them out because <laughs> I can't stand Even. tulips. Just really? I'm, I'm, they're too blousy yeah. for me. I can't be doing with them. Can I just uh, change the subject slightly? Because um, we're just still in lockdown, aren't we, as uh, a time of, of broadcasting. And, uh, and I just wonder how you've coped 
uh, with with your business. Thankfully, garden centres were allowed to stay open uh, during this lockdown. But how has business been for you through this pandemic? The lockdown um, was in place last late March, April, early May. And we thought it might lift again in June. And it opened in um, mid-May last year. And trade since then has been phenomenal. It's, it's been so brisk that no one in our industry has ever seen anything like it. It was incredibly busy through June, July, August, right into November. And when you think there's only one growing season, so all of our shrubs and climbers we grow through the summer and they're ready to go out from July, August onwards. But most of them sell March, April, May from the wholesale nurseries to the garden centres and the public plant them March, April, May, June. This year, there's a real panic on because there's hardly anything left on the wholesale nurseries now. Well, we only we only grow one crop, so we, when we sell it, it's immaterial almost, although it's nice to have the crop sold. But the our wholesale nurseries are empty now. They're filling up with new crop ready for next autumn, but they need a growing season. So we've never seen anything like it. The public started gardening last year in May. And it was the most glorious sunny summer when yeah. you could sit out. Most of us sat in the garden smelling the roses. Richard sat in his garden looking at his verbena and his grasses. <laughs> and uh, um, it was the most glorious summer for sitting in the garden from April right through to October, uh, barbecuing, wine, flowers and plants. And the public have just done nothing but gardening. They can't do anything else. I often think they're sitting and watching breakfast television or listening nowadays to boom radio at seven in the morning saying what should we do today and they've been furloughed for six months or whatever and they can't go anywhere they garden every day that's all they're doing they're doing nothing else they're baking gardening i don't know what they're doing they can't go anywhere they're told to stay at home so it's been great for the garden centers and the wholesale nurseries have sold all the crop. There's only one crop to sell. Do you think um, the fact that they have been doing nothing but gardening for the year is going to stick? Or are we? is it all going to suddenly, are the taps going to suddenly turn off again when uh, the lockdown and finishes and we've all got jabbed up? Yeah, there's two ways of looking at this. One, pe- pessimistic side, they're all waiting to go to Stansted. They can't wait to go to Stansted and have their holidays <laughs> and forget about gardening. That's one way of looking at it. But the other way that we're thinking and hoping, it's weather dependence as well when, when everything suddenly lifts. But the other thing is, there's a new generation of gardeners now. They knew nothing about gardening 12 months ago. Where are we? End of March. They knew nothing about gardening 12 months ago, or very little. Now they've had 12 months of nothing but gardening and talking about gardening. They'll all have been Googling it listening to you talking about gardening and Richard. And then they, they, they're learning fast. They're learning yeah. fast. Yeah. So that, it could be good. It could be could be a good run there of, of, of gardening for years. Interesting. Well, well look, um, we're, we're about running out of time. So let's finish on a general note then. Uh, we're at sort of mid-March. The weather is starting to moderate now. I haven't had any frosts for a little while. We've got close. What are we thinking about over the next week? What, in the garden? Yeah. Yeah, just um, get into the garden. People will have already had the first tidy up. So a bit of light pruning. Don't prune anything that's going to flower in March, April, May. Prune those after flowering. A bit of a weeding, tidy the borders, first cut of the lawn. And uh, look for some gaps. Look where we can plant something or get some bulbs in. Um, But find some gaps in the garden, do some light pruning 
get ready for the, the glorious summer again. Oh, and look after those roses. Yeah. Richard? Yeah, I totally agree with everything that Alan said. And what I'm looking to do in the, at least the next, before two weeks is up, I've got sedums coming. Islatelophiums, sedums, call them what you will. Islatelophiums, the new name, Rob, that's why I'm saying it. You can take basal cuttings of these things um, right now if, you, if they're up enough. And I've got some sedums here that are, are about an inch, two inches tall already. And I'm quite happy to go in there and snip some off and produce a, a load more. You can split them. But if, you, if you're really getting into gardening, start taking these basal cuttings now and you can do it with lots of things. Right, yeah. I mean, I've just been out um, tidying up. I think that's what most people are probably doing at this stage is just taking all the rubbish out of the garden that's accumulated. I'm starting to see a bit more of the uh, of the fish in the pond now, which is good. Uh, so, yeah, um, but I've got some serious weeding to do. That's that's the, the next project for me, <laughs> serious weeding. All right, then, happy gardening. And next week, we've got a garden designer for episode three, uh, Nikki Applewhite from uh, Applewhite Designs Garden Designing. So she'll be coming on, giving a few tips on uh, planning and designing your garden. Alan, thanks very much indeed. It's been great to, to talk to you. And uh, are you uh, in the pen with the bulls again tomorrow? Uh, no, um, in Norfolk tomorrow, visiting a garden centre in uh, sometime in the afternoon and um, busy talking to garden centres about why we don't have any plants to sell until after Easter. So that's, I think that's mainly what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks very much indeed, folks. And uh, yeah, join us for episode three of Dibber and Trug. Oh, that's quite Richard, question that we've been asked. Which one's Dibber and which one's Trug? We need to come up with a storyline, don't we? Because I have no idea. We, I don't, we do really, but I see that you put yourself on the Dibber side and I was on the Trug side. So I thought, yeah, well, oh, maybe that's... that's there was no thought about that. It was that's just the way it turned out. Maybe I'm just naturally a dibber. <laughs> With your dibber and Alan's, uh, you know, ball, shall we say? <laughs> Enough already. <laughs> Let's get the editor out for that one. Yeah, get get editing. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, guys. All the best.